All right, Jeremiah chapter 19. And make sure you have Bible dictionaries because there's a high probability that we're going to at least see if there's any. I haven't checked this Bible dictionary to see if there's entries for it, but there's a chance that that's where we're going to spend the rest of this evening. It's probably in the Bible dictionary, possibly. We'll see. All right, Jeremiah chapter 19. Now, Jeremiah 18. We had uh, Jeremiah going down to where? Where was he sent? Well, the potter's house. Yeah, sent to the potter's house, right? And then when he was there in the potter's house, what did he, what happened? There was a vessel that was being made of clay, and it was marred. Okay. And we talked about a whole host of things related to this chapter, a whole host of things, everything about it, and... I'm not going to go back through everything we discussed, but um, hopefully you have some memory of of Jeremiah chapter 18, because when we come to chapter 19, we're still going to be doing with a sermon that's another, you know, object lesson. Now, in some cases, I don't know if we're going to focus more on the object or where this all takes place. Some of the, I think a couple of sources focus more kind of on the place uh, that this happens than the actual object, but we'll try to make sure we bring in both. But I thought it was interesting. Uh, Today, I received the uh, August 4th, 2023 issue of the Sword of the Lord newspaper, and I opened it up, and one of the the first major sermon is called The Price Tag on the Restoration of a Country. The price tag of the restoration of a country. To the right, there's a picture of the pastor. And behind him, you'll see it's an American flag, right? So then I start reading it, and I read these words. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Do those words sound familiar? Yes, Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 10. And so this is the price tag on the restoration of a country. So what it does is, of course... It's going to talk about our country, of course, right? It's going to talk about us, and it's going to say, here's what we need to do to restore our country. And what do you think they put forth as the price tag on restoring a country? What do you think it is? They just they quoted that, those verses, uh, Jeremiah 18, what, 7 through 10? 7 through 10, I believe. Yes, 7 through 10. If you need to look at those verses, you can look at them. What do you think they're going to say? Hey, here's the price tag. If you want to restore our country, if you want to restore America, here's what we have to do. Okay, we're going to have to stop doing bad things. Okay, now what's the problem with that? We spent about three hours on, on this problem. What's the problem with this? We can't do it. We can't do it. And, and I, oh, oh, man. I, sometimes I just, I don't ever understand what, what, 
where I don't I just don't understand anymore. I don't understand Christianity anymore. Because the solution always is in what you do and 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 what you do. And and they think the solution is just telling everyone, stop doing bad things. Well, number one, telling lost people to stop doing bad things is totally useless. And in a roundabout way, telling Christians to do good things is somewhat useless because Everyone acknowledges we can't get to perfection, and everyone seems to admit that even Christians can do horrible, horrible, horrible things. So then really, what? and even if you got people externally doing certain good things, that doesn't really restore a country because the issue would still be inside the heart. And so what they want is we've just got to, we got to just get everyone to act right. But when I looked at it, some of the, I mean, of course, they go to, the obvious things, homosexuality, they go to the, you know, the obvious things that you know, we gotta, we got to purge out of America. It's like, well, I mean, you could go to an Islamic country. They have really strict rules and will kill people for lots of things, right? I mean, you go to an Islamic country, maybe that's, what, maybe that's what Christians want. They want their own Christian version of Islam. I guess we want to just, because the only way really to get rid of all the bad people doing bad things they start killing people. Really, you know? Now I got no I understand. I got no problem with laws and punishing crime. I, I understand, but you're gonna be it's a slippery slope when you start punishing people for supposed sin, right? Because, well, first, we don't live under the, a theocracy. And second, if you're gonna per, if you're gonna have people punished for that sin, then what other sins do you start punishing people with? And then who's in charge of the theocracy? And well, then you know it, it all just goes crazy but it's just once again it's like they hey look at our country what do we need we need law 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 and it's just i i it's just it's kind of maddening but that's that's where that's where it is so at some point i'll work through that just to to show it but not right now let's go to chapter 19 because we can't stay any longer at 18 because we're already so far behind. I mean, we're in August and you know, we're in chapter 19. So we got a long ways to go, all right? So let's see how far we can get. There's only how many verses in this chapter? 15. So in theory, we should be done by what? 7.30 and be on our way home, right? Okay. Okay, but, but we'll see, all right? Here we go, chapter 19, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord. Now, just once again, we talked about this in great length on Sunday. Over and over and over it says, thus saith the Lord, to let us know that it's God's message to Jeremiah and that we talked about all the complications and all the people and how do you know when someone's getting all the issues that we talked about. All right, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen bottle and take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priest. All right, we may need to look that up in a number of translations to kind of get an idea exactly what's being said here. What exactly is he being told to do in chapter 19, verse 1? What is he being told to do in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 1? Let me read from a different translation. This is what the Lord says. Go buy a potter's clay jar. Take some of the elders of the people and some of the leading priests. All right, so he's to take the older, possibly wiser, and he's to take some of the priests. 
That seems odd, right? Why, why is he taking them? We could speculate, but let's see if the text gives us any idea why he's taking them, all right? Verse 2, and go out to, where is he to go out to? Okay, uh, well, it depends on which translation you're reading. Mine says this one, and go forth unto the valley of the son of Hinnom. Everybody see that? The valley of the son of Hinnom, or I think others say, or Ben-Hinnom, I think other, your translation says, yeah, Ben-Hinnom. The son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee. Now, it would be interesting, just like if we wanted to, to just pursue this, it would be interesting to look at every one of Jeremiah's message and figure out where he is at. Because some t- cases, he's sent to very specific locations, right? Right? Sometimes it's near the temple. Sometimes it's here. So why the different... Uh, I, I have not given this much thought until chapter 19, and maybe I should have. That's my, that, that's my own fault. But I haven't really given the thought of where it takes place. I've been more focused on, wait, what is he to say? Wait, what's the object lesson that he's using? But maybe the place is somewhat significant. So here's what we're going to do. Let's look up Hinnom in a Bible dictionary and see what we can find. All right? And uh, so once you find an, if, see if you can find an entry for Hinnom. If you can find an entry for Hinnom, let me know where and what page. And then we will, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to go back to chapter 7 of Jeremiah as well. And uh, we'll just see where this goes. We, this may be as far as we get, but that's okay. 568, or that was quick. All right, 568. I haven't even got close to there, all right? Okay, we'll look at both, all right? We'll look at both. Let's, and don't start reading them yet. Now go to chapter 7 of Jeremiah. Right? I think it's chapter 7. Yes, I think it's chapter 7. Now, I don't know, just we'll, we'll read all of these notes here in a minute and see why they want us to look at this, but let's just look, look at it. All right, everybody there? All right, chapter 7, verse 31. And they built the high places of Tophet. All right, just see if in the Bible dictionary if there's an entry for Tophet. Let's just see if there is. All right, keep, keep the other place marked. Keep the other place marked. T-O-P-H-E-T. See if there's an entry for it. Okay, keep that. Someone mark that one as well so that you can tell me the page number here in a minute. All right, now this is important. So we have Hinnom. We have Tophet mentioned here, right? Now look at this. Tophet is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now what happens here? To burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. All right, so we got, we got something going on in this place that could be of great significance, right? All right, now, I'm going to start reading my notes here in this study Bible. This is the everyday study Bible. I'm going to read my notes, and we'll put the notes together, then we'll go to the Bible dictionary. 
Okay, all right, good point. Uh, yeah, that, that's uh, chapter, see, verse 32, you know, 732. Therefore, behold, the day shall come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, where they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place, right? So clearly this place is a bad place, right? And, and clearly it's going to be known. Now let's see what this Bible does, right? Now I know immediately we want to go, well, wait a minute. Why, like I said, some will just immediately jump to the object lesson. In this particular case, at least this Bible made me think about, well, maybe the place is more important. But then it made me think, why did we ignore all the other places? But let's, let's look at this one. Here we go, right? Chapter 19, verse, uh, this is chapter 19. And they're quoting, uh, they are referencing verse 2. And here is the comment they make in the, the study Bible. Along with some elders, Jeremiah was told to go to Hinnom, later Gehenna. Let's write down that, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Yeah, look it up and see if there's an entry for it. G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Gehenna. Well, yeah, there's going to be some possible correlations with all of this in a minute. Right now, we're going to just see if there's an entry. G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Okay, they're going to tell, they're going to take us to the Valley of Hinnom. Okay, that's all right. So maybe the Valley of Hinnom, they'll talk about this, all right? So keep those pages marked, all right? Now, uh, this study Bible at that point, right? So, so obviously this place's name has changed to Gehenna at some point, it sounds like. And they say, see, note on chapter 7, verse 31. So we read chapter 7, verse 31, and then here we go. This is what? Tophet is an Aramaic word meaning fire pit. Interesting. It can also mean fireplace or hearth. This high place was located in Hinnom, uh, south of Jerusalem. King Ahaz and Manasseh instituted pagan sacrifices here, including the offering of Judah's children to the god Baal or Molech. Child sacrifice was forbidden by Mosaic law. This practice was abolished under King Josiah. During Jeremiah's day, the sacrifices appear to have been revived. Later, generations dumped their garbage in Hinnom Valley. Understandably, this place became a symbol for the place of future judgment called Gahana. Now, let's, that's, that, that, there, that may, I mean, there, maybe there's a significance why he's going here because of all of this. I don't know, but let's do this. Let's go to the Bible dictionary. The first entry was, was for Hinnom. And so we, the, if you just look up Hinnom itself, we just have this entrance, uh, entry. An unknown person, perhaps the original uh, Jebusite owner, whose name appears only in the phrase the Valley of Hinnom. All right? So that doesn't really help us. A valley outside Jerusalem. It says, see Hinnom, Valley of and Hell. Okay, but the very next entry, right? The very next entry. Hinnom, Valley of. A deep narrow ravine west and south of Jerusalem 
At the high places of Baal in the valley of Hinnom, parents sacrificed their children as a burnt offering to Molech. Ahaz and Manasseh, kings of Judah, were both guilty of this awful wickedness. But good king Josiah destroyed the pagan altars to remove the temptation from the people of Judah. The prophet Jeremiah foretold that God would judge this awful abomination of human sacrifice and would cause such a destruction that the valley of the son of Hinnom would become known as the valley of slaughter. The place was also called Tophet. Apparently, the valley of Hinnom was used as the garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. Refuge, waste, materials, and dead animals were burned here. Fires continually smoldered, and smoke from the burning debris rose day and night. Hinnom thus became a graphic symbol of woe and judgment and a place of eternal punishment called hell. Translated into Greek, the valley of Hinnom becomes Gehenna, which is used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times by Jesus and once by James, each time translated as hell. All right? Now, some people can start making all kinds of, you know, claims here. Well, see, see, uh, hell is obviously not a place of eternal punishment because it was really just Gehenna. It was just a, it was just a garbage dump. So whenever you talk about hell, it just means something's going to be consumed. It's just going to be destroyed. It's not eternal because nothing in the, in the, in the garbage dump that's burned is burning forever. So then they say, therefore, hell is not eternal. That's not really such a great way to go about that. In fact, what we'll do here, uh, we'll, we'll come back to this entry in a minute. So we do know this. Where he's being sent to preach this is a place where some really messed up things have happened. Agreed? Can we at least agree? That? Now, we, you can figure out in a minute if there's any significance to why he's sent here. But you can see this has been a place of idolatry and a place of human sacrifice. Agreed? Right? That's in them. The other word was tophet, right? And that's on page 1269, all right? 1269. Don't forget where we just were on page 568 because we'll be right back. And the other one, you said 1269? 1269. Tophet, we read this, a place... This is on page 1269, and for those listening online, I know we, we don't always reference which Bible dictionary we're using. We're using Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary. All right, here we go. Tophet, a place southeast of Jerusalem in the Valley of Hinnom where child sacrifices were offered and the dead bodies were buried or consumed. Tophet, and, and uh, it, it talks about a Moabite god and, a, and Molech, an Ammonite god, uh, were worshipped by, uh, by at Tophet through a practice despised by God, infant sacrifice. So there was a bunch of gods worshipped, but the main thing is what's happening there? Infant sacrifice. The two kings of Judah, Ahaz and uh, Jehoahaz uh, and Manasseh, made their own sons pass through the fire. Godly king Josiah stopped this horrible practice, possibly by dumping the garbage of Jerusalem at Tophet. That's interesting. Maybe that's where it turned into a garbage pit. Is say, hey, we got to stop the human sacrifices happening here. Let's throw all of our garbage and burn there. Nobody's going to want to come there to do any kind of worship. 
right? So that would be interesting if that's the case. The prophet Isaiah used Tophet as a symbol of death and destruction. God would use a, a destruction. God would use a judgment against the king of Assyria. Jeremiah proclaimed that God's judgment would fall upon the people of Judah for sacrificing their infants to Baal. The, bur uh, the burial of slaughtered Ju Judaites at this place would be so great, said Jeremiah, that the name Tophet would be changed to Valley of Slaughter. Jeremiah also announced that God would make Jerusalem itself a defiled place like Tophet because of the idolatry of the city. Right? Now, um, we, we, did we look up Ge uh, Gehana? And that told us the Valley of Hinnom. All right, so now we go back to the uh, Valley of Hinnom. Can say it correctly. Yes. And then what we're going to do is do this. That last paragraph. I know we're going to get a little off track here, but I just want to at least deal with this now. All right. So, so far, what can we ascertain? We can ascertain that he is sent to a place that was a place of idolatry and a place of child sacrifice. Something happened. Possibly the good king Josiah was like, hey, we got to stop this. So he started dumping all the garbage there to burn it. And then people were like, well, we're not going to come back here to worship our false gods. And there was what, two false gods, three false gods, possibly two? Yeah. Okay. All right. uh, but there were, what were the name of the gods? Those were the kings. Yeah. There were how many false gods? Two or three. I think there were three false gods, possibly. I can't remember. Kamash, yeah. Oh, and be all there. Yeah, there should be three. Kamash, Molech, and be all. All right, there should be three. Okay, so there are three false gods worshipped here. Uh, the main thing they had in common was child sacrifice. All right. Some point it turns into a garbage pit, and it appears that it was still being used as a garbage pit at the time of. Jesus, time of Jesus. And Jesus seems to make reference to it, but instead of referring to it as the Valley of Hinnom, he refers to it as a hell, or it's translated as hell. Now, let's, let's look at this, because again, some people, this gets into a, if you talk to maybe Jehovah's Witnesses or others, they get into a big discussion here. See, hell is not eternal. It was just a garbage pit. You burn something, it was consumed. Don't turn hell into eternal punishment because you don't know the history of it. Well, now you just know the history of the place. Right? But if Jesus is using the literal place to make a point, he, you know sometimes when he's using one thing to point at something else, it's not that every little aspect of it's going to be perfect. The place is... It's a picture of something burning. It's a, a picture of some kind of judgment. So we're just going to see how this is used. Now, according to the dictionary, it's used how many times? It's used 11 times, so you know what that means. We got to figure out where, right? So let's go to Matthew 5.22. Let's go to Matthew 5.22. Well, we're going to go to Matthew 5.22 first in a, just our Bibles. Let's go that way first. 
Matthew 5, 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now let's look it up in the Blue Letter Bible app. Let's look it up in the Blue Letter Bible app. That's Matthew 5, 22. I know this is taking us a long ways from... Right. So we'll go just to the word hell, okay? And it's this Greek word. Strong's G, 1067, Gehenna. 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 Sometimes it's, some people, most pastors will say Gehenna, but Gehenna, if you want to say it that way, Gehenna. Now, it's used, according to mine, it's used 12 times, 12 times, at least in the King James, all right? And it's translated hell nine times, hell fire with uh, G4442 three times, all right? So Gehenna um, is, Strong's definition of Gehenna is what? Valley of the son of Hinnom, right? A valley of Jerusalem used figuratively as a name for the place or state of Everlasting punishment, hell. Outline of biblical usage. Hell is the place of the future punishment called Gehenna, or Gehenna of fire. This was originally the Valley of Hinnom, south of Jerusalem, where the filth and dead animals of the city were cast out and burned. A fit symbol of the wicked and their future destruction. Now let's look at every place that it's used, all right? Now, let's just do, we're going to, I know we're getting a little off track, but since it's mentioned here, well, what we're going to do is we're going to just look and see how the text uses it because a lot of people get caught up in the history, right? They get caught up in the history. And when they get caught up in the history, they're like, look, it's just, all, all it is is was a place where things were burned. So basically, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're just going to be, disposed of like trash and you'll no longer exist right and that's supposed to make you you know hey that's yeah that's horrible but you'll just no longer exist now you could you could have a long I mean you you know I don't know how you're supposed to feel about that some people will say well if that's all I got to look forward to then what am I worried about right like I I'm not gonna all I'm gonna may miss out on good things but I'm not gonna suffer bad things and then so you get into a big discussion the, the issue really is well, how does the Bible describe it? Because you can't, sometimes, remember, sometimes when you look, for example, when we talk about baptizo, or, you know, typically it means to fully immerse, right? And we, we know that's what it means. But it can also mean to wash. And I think there's maybe once, I think once in Acts, it talks about washing tables. And I'm like, see, see, they're not immersing the whole table. You're like, yeah, but they're making it fully wet. So sprinkling water on a baby you're not making it fully wet, so you're still not staying true to the spirit of it. But, see, but the word can. Well, all right, we can get into all of these debates. Let's just see how it's used and how it's described, right? So we do know in Matthew 5.22, the first place it's used, the main thing is what is it, what is it connected with in the first use? Well, judgment, but it's connected with fire, right? So fire. Now, that fits the image of the Valley of Hinnom because... And Gehenna, right, things are burning, right? So clearly there's a burning that takes place, right? There seems to be possible figurative language. The next place it's used, 
5.29. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. Now, we got to stop right here and ask ourselves. To me, this is an important, one of the most important verses here on dealing with it. Jesus is saying, basically, look, if you need to, rip out your eye, cut off your hand. Better to lose an eye or lose a hand or to end up where? And Gaana, right? Well, guess what? Obviously, that would seem to indicate that whatever's in Gaana has got to be really, 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 really bad if he's saying it's better to chop off an arm or a hand or rip out an eye. Because clearly, whatever Gaana is, it's really bad. Now, you would think, now some could argue, or, well, it's just lose a hand, lose an eye, you still exist. You go to Gehenna, you're just Gehenna, you burn up and you're no longer existing. So some may argue, well, see, it's not eternal. I don't know, just just seems to tell me this is a temporary thing, losing an eye and hand. But if going there is a temporary thing, then really there's not much difference, yes? So I think this seems to indicate that whatever is, it's pretty bad. But let's, let's see if we get any further. The next one is Matthew 5.30, which says basically the same thing, right? Right? So, but I'm just saying Matthew 5.30 saying the same thing, right? So then Matthew 10.28, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this one is definitely used by people who believe in annihilationism because it says he will do what? Or be, you should be afraid of the person who can do what? In hell. Now, the fact they say destroy means, see, God will destroy you and you will no longer exist. So they, that teaches annihilationism. All right. You can see where maybe they, they could take that from there. All right. Let's just keep going, see if we find anything else. What's next? 18.9. You're going to have the same kind of concept, right? If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into Anna, fire, hell, fire. All right? That's not too helpful, is it? Still, you, you would have a hard time. Put it this way. Unless, to be fair, for those who teach annihilationism, to be fair, none of these verses would give us a definitive idea of exactly what happens in Gaana other than what? It's something really bad that you should be willing to rip off, cut off a hand or rip out an eye to avoid and that it's connected with fire. Can we agree? So far, none of these verses tells us how long someone may be there. All right? Because we want to be fair, right? Remember, whenever we deal with a doctrine, no matter, how, no matter what we think, we've got to be fair with the text. Let's see if we get any more help, all right? The next passage is 23.15, which is of no help, right? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. When he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. That doesn't help, right? All right, Matthew 23.33, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? It doesn't really help. What? Now, you can say, we can do this. So if Gaana, Gaana, Hell, we could say this. Obviously, place of punishment. 
place of damnation. It's a place where something is so bad that you should be willing to lose an eye or a hand to avoid. And it's connected with fire, right? We, what, what do we not have yet? Length. We don't have anything like that in any way, shape, or form, right? So that's not a lot of help. All right, how about the next one? Mark 9, 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Now we're getting an idea that the fire is never going to stop burning. Now, that seems to add maybe a new layer to this, right? Now, it doesn't say what's going to happen to the people who enter the fire. But it seems to know this, the fire's not going out. Now, if the fire's not going out, that seems to infer, like if you're going to take it from a very literal way, that something is continuing to burn. Right? Okay. So, now, this doesn't give us any definitive, so we don't want to make jump any conclusion. But this is the first time now where we know that it's a place of judgment and it's a place of continual fire. Unquenchable fire. It's not going to be put out. Is that, does that help maybe some? All right, what's next? Mark 9, 45, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better to enter into, uh, into uh, life. It's better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet and be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be. All right, so now we got twice where it's mentioned it's not going to be quenched, right? Then we have uh, Mark 947, if an eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Right? Still, that doesn't give us any length. Those, those, we got two that kind of possibly offers the idea that it's not going to be quenched. The rest are giving us some of the same things we've already covered. Luke 12, 5. But I will forewarn you, when ye shall fear, fear him which after he hath killed... Ha, which? After he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Right? Then James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire, world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. All right. Those are all the scriptures. A lot of fire mentioned unquenchable doesn't give us a lot more information does it all right and all of those use which greek word Guiana, however you say i want to say Guiana, but Guiana, all right so all right so then what now i know this is i well hang on i i know this is not where we should be going but just because we've mentioned this place, and to mention the place gets us to Guiana, which gets us to the discussion of hell. You see why we're here, right? I don't want you to think I'm just off running out of, you know, just I've left the road for no reason. So now, but we are left with now a very important discussion. How do we prove then that hell is eternal punishment? So we need to do some work. So let's do a couple of things. First, let's grab our Bi- the Bible dictionary again and look up the entry for hell. We'll just see if they offer any scriptures that would... Uh, now, obviously, this is from the Greek word Guiana. We're not, we're not getting there, are we? All right, so let's see what we can do. Well, did anybody find the uh, entry for hell? 
five, five, what? Six, okay. Here we go. All right, now, the Bible dictionary starts with what? What, what? what do we call that at the very first sentence? We are giving a declarative statement being stated in a very dogmatic and authoritative way, right? Now, how should you always read it when you read anything that offers a declarative dogmatic assertion? You always read it as a hypothesis and go, okay, great, you've given me your hypotheses. Now let's see if they can prove that it's a place of everlasting punishment. And then what we will do is we will test it ourselves. Now we've already looked at all the scriptures that mention, that uses the Greek word geana, and we're not there yet. I don't know if we can prove it yet. Agreed? Okay. Now, so the place of eternal punishment for the unrighteous. The New King James and KJV use this word to translate Sheol and Hades. The Old and New Testament words, respectively, for the abode of the dead. Now, they bring in two other words. We've been looking at Guiana. They bring in Sheol, Sheol and Hades. All right, well, we may, have to do, we may have to look these up in a minute, okay? All right. Hell is also, uh, hell also translates Guiana, the Greek form of the Hebrew phrase that means the veil of Hinnom, a valley west and south of Jerusalem. In the valley, the Canaanites worship Baal and the god Molech by sacrificing their children in a fire and burn, con, uh, a fire that burned continuously. Now, that's interesting. If it's true historically, that those fires at that time burned continuously, then it's not too much of a stretch for Mark to refer to the fire that is unquenchable. Well, I don't know if we have. I'm just saying, if that's the case, you can see why Mark would pick up the symbolism. That still would not come anywhere close to proving that people suffer there for all eternity because if this fire was burning all the time, it wasn't because one object was continuing to burn, right? So that would raise... That would not help us very much, all right? So let's continue. Even Ahaz and Manasseh, king uh, Judah, were guilty of the terrible idolatrous practice. The prophet Jeremiah predicted that God would visit such a destruction upon uh, Jerusalem that the valley would be known as the Valley of Slaughter. Please note, this is just interesting, that every time you look up, if you even look up hell, where do we end up back? In Jeremiah, right? Now you see why we're doing this? You see, well, okay, I'm just, we just can't ignore this, right? We just can't ignore it. All right, so, uh, and then they quote Jeremiah 7, 31 through 34, chapter 19, verse 2, and chapter 19, verse 6. And we've looked at uh, all of those except verse 6. In his, re- uh, in his religious reforms, King Josiah put an end to this worship. He defiled the valley in order to make it unfit even for pagan worship, all right? Look at 2 Kings 23, 10. Look at 2 Kings 23, 10 and see if it tells us exactly what he did. 2 Kings 23.10. Okay, we don't know what he did. It just says he corrupted it, right? Okay. And he defiled it, right? So we don't know what he did. I'm assu- possibly, I think that's probably why they may assume, what's a good way to defile and corrupt a place of worship? Okay, maybe that's a possibility. I mean, at least we can speculate, all right? Now, in the time of Jesus, the Valley of Hinnom was used as the garbage dump of Jerusalem. 
Into it were thrown all the filth and the garbage of the city, including the dead bodies of animals and executed criminals. To consume all of this, fires burned constantly. Maggots worked in the filth. When the wind blew from that direction over the city, its awfulness was quite evident. At night, wild dogs howled as they fought over the garbage. Jesus used this awful scene as a symbol of hell. In effect, he said, do you want to know what hell is like? Look at Guyana. So hell may be described as God's cosmic garbage dump. All that is unfit for heaven will be thrown into hell. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that's hard for me to read and just try to, that's a horrible thing to say. Hey, hell is God's cosmic garbage dump. And if you're not worthy of heaven, you just get thrown into the garbage dump. Like, that seems to not show any sanctity for human beings. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's hard for me to read. I'm not dismissing the existence of hell. I'm just saying it's hard for one hand to go, human beings are the sanctity of life. Human beings are created in the image of God. And they could just be so unfit for heaven that God just throws them into the garbage dump and let them burn. Yeah, cosmic garbage dump. Like, that's hard to read, is it not? I mean, it should bother us a little bit. I mean, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that. I mean, that's kind of like, hey, well, you know, too bad. Uh, you know, so-and-so got thrown into the garbage dump. Some do, some don't. I mean, that's a hard process to process, a hard concept to process. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you start putting people's names attached to it, family, friends. But even if you don't know their names, it's just a horrible concept to process. But okay. I don't like quite how they say that, but okay. The word Gehenna, Gehenna, however, occurs 12 times in the New Testament. Each time it's translated as hell. So they say 12 times. It says, with the exception of James 3, 6, it is only used by Jesus. Now, that's interesting. Gehenna is only used by Jesus. He's the only one to use this phrase. And they give us all the scriptures, and guess what? We just read all of those scriptures. Okay, all right. Okay, you see why we did that, all right? It says in Matthew 5, 22, 18, 9, and Mark 9, 47, it is used with fire as hell fire. So the word hell, Gehenna, as a place of punishment is used in the New Testament by him who is the essence of infinite love, all right? I think it is important to say Jesus is the one who mentioned it, and he mentioned it, nobody else did, all right? And Mark 9, 46 and 48, Hell is described as a place where the worm does not die. Can everybody look at Mark 9, 46 and 48 and see if we find that phrase? Okay, 9, 46. Okay, now we know which Greek word is not used here, right? Gehenna is not used here. Agreed? Yes? Okay. So. Okay, right. All right, so if we go back, so now if we put it all together, yes, Mark, Mark 9.46. Now if we go back to 43, right? We go back to 43, we'll put it in context. Mark 9.43. Now we've, we've read this a numerous times, have we not? If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into 
hell. Now, is that Gehenna? What? Oh, of course, yeah. They don't have it. Right. Now we get into a whole manuscript issue. I know. Right? That gets going to get into a whole issue here in a minute. But keep that. Yeah, keep that. All right? Uh, but let's, we'll see what is in your NIV. Let's see what is in, in the NIV. Okay? There's always those textual issues. All right? But let's, let's go through this. Uh, Mark 9.43. Hell. That's Guiana. All right. Yes. Okay. So we know we're still talking about the same place. Right? Okay. Having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Now, we have the idea of being quenched. Now, clearly, at least in the King James, it doesn't end in a period. The thought continues, right? 44, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched is 944 in the NIV. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, oh, textual variance. Oh, don't you love textual variance? So 44 is not there, and 46. Okay, so 48 is there. Okay, that's fine. As long as we have it once, we're good to go, right? All we need is once. Okay, if we have it once, then it doesn't matter, all right? They may not repeat it. Who cares? As long as it's there once, because we have the idea. Now, so here's what we have. Guiana, now, now this is what we have. Remember all those other things we wrote down about Guiana, right? Now we can add something to it, correct? Now we can add this. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Okay, well, supposedly there were maggots in the area. Right, right. That, that's how it's, from a literal standpoint, according to the dictionary, right? I cannot go back there and verify that. So, but the point is, does this get us to the idea that hell is a place of eternal punishment? It, it, I think it's getting us closer, don't you feel? It's a little closer because the, the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. And, well, they both are, at least they're speaking of there's something eternal going on here because they're not good. They don't die and it's not quenched. So we're not, we're not all the way there, but we're getting, we're getting a little closer, right? Let's see if the dictionary gets us any, a, a step closer, any step closer, right? Uh, I think we're getting maybe closer, all right? Um, yeah, yeah, slowly but surely, all right? So, in Mark 9, 46 and 48, hell is described as a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Repeatedly, Jesus spoke of outer darkness and a furnace of fire where there will be wailing, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Now, clearly, these scriptures don't have the Greek word for Guiana, Gahana, however you want to say it, all right? Go to Matthew 8, 12. Let's see if we can connect it to the same place, Right? Okay, now this one, okay, if we go to verse 11, oh boy, this one becomes all complicated, does it not? Matthew 8, 11, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the, of the kingdom 
shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Is verse 12 describing Guiana, Guiana, however you want to say it, is it describing hell? Yeah, but is it describing hell? All right. Yeah, but that, but it says who's going to be thrown out? Subjects of the kingdom. Which is a little confusing, right? The children of the kingdom. Yeah. So is that hell? Let's put a question mark next to it, okay? Let's put a question mark next to it. All right, we're, we're, we're going to run out of time, but let's, let's put a question mark next to it, okay? All right? They, they just assume that it is. So just, just so that you know, they immediately connect that to, oh, that's Guyana. That's, that's, that's hell, all right? I, I'm just saying, mm, I don't know. The Greek word is not used. I, I, oh, I want to think so, but I don't know. Let's go to the next one. I, I don't know. None of that I don't think is going to help us too much there. Dark, yeah, see, all right. So go to Matthew 13, 42 and see if we get any closer here. Now, I know the fact that I say that, I'm going to get emails. How dare you? Of course that's hell. What do you think? Well, I'm just trying to look. We've got to let the text speak, right? 13, 42, I believe. 1342, make sure I'm looking at it correctly. Uh, see here. Yeah, uh, Matthew 1342. What, what does he say here? And he shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh, okay. Now, this one does sound like Gehenna, right? Does? It um, you have you have the furnace of fire, you have fire. Okay, now you do have the wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, once again, though, what do we not have here? Yeah, we still don't really get a, an idea of length of, of time. Now, you could say because we have wailing and gnashing of teeth, the previous verse that mentioned outer darkness did it have wailing of gnashing uh, or wailing and gnashing of teeth with it? Go, go back and look to make sure. 8.12. Okay, so maybe now there's a way to correlate. So then you could possibly say if it's referring to the same place, then maybe, then we could say that if we, this is all referencing hell, let's say it's all referencing hell, then here's what we have. There's wailing and gnashing of teeth and there's outer darkness. We still don't have what? And fire. We have, we've already established fire earlier, yeah. So well, what do we have? We, we still don't have length, right? We still don't have length. Agreed? All right. Well, just stay with me. Uh, now go to uh, Matthew 13, 50. Thirteen fifty, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Still doesn't give us 
how long this happens, right? We still don't have a good answer. How about 22.13? I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, well, okay, at the end of the world, they're going to be put there. Okay. Right, right. It just doesn't tell, I'm talking about, it doesn't give us a time for how long this happens. How long does the wailing and gnashing of teeth occur? Right? How long does the burning occur? Right? We know the fire seems to never go out, which you can then infer, well, then something's got to be burning, right? The worm never dies, seeming to be a place of something, but I still want something better. I still, look, if you're, look, if you're dealing with someone who believes in annihilation, just make sure you understand this. I mean, if you, if you engage in religious conversation, theological conversation with people, sooner or later you're going to come up, up to someone who believes in annihilationism. And you've got to have something to give them. So far, not one verse that we've come up with is going to come close to convincing them, is it? I mean, we can get, we can get, we, we, we feel like we can get close, but that, you know, what they would accuse you of is you're reading your presupposition into it. So I need something better. I need something better. So let's see if we can get here, right? Um, that was 1350. Now go to 2213. What happens in 2213? All right, now he's, he's using a parable, right? He says, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, and there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the fact that there's outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth can connect it to those other situations. But what, once again, what do we not have? Well, I know fire's even mentioned this time. Not only do we not have any fire, we still don't have how long. We, don't, we don't, still don't have any of that. All right, next is 2451. Twenty-four fifty-one. Right, we got the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you got to be careful with this, right? Because <laughs> you got me being cut asunder. Are, are we going to say when people get put in hell, they're chopped up? I, like I, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, you got a little bit of like, is this? So then, how literal do you take that, right? Yeah, the whole, so that you see, you, you're getting kind of maybe the feeling of a little bit of symbolic language. Oh, that makes me a little nervous. Does it make you a little nervous? All right, so for those listening online, that was Matthew 24, 51. And shall cut him asunder, appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't, you know, so like, what is the cut asunder there? Okay, we, I still don't have a good answer. Okay, what's next? Right, that uh, that was twenty. No, uh, was that twenty five thirty? No, that was twenty four fifty one. Twenty five thirty is all right. Cast the unprofitable servant uh, into the outer darkness, and there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We still don't have what. We still don't have anything that can be dogmatically telling us this. Right? How about Luke thirteen twenty eight? And Luke 12, making, that's making absolutely no sense. 
Okay, Luke 13, 28, what do we have here? There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves shall yourselves thrust out. That doesn't help us, does it? I think we should all agree. It doesn't help us at all. Now, they say, if you take all of those verses, obviously this picture is drawn from Guyana, right? I agree. It, it definitely sounds like this place, but it's not, it doesn't tell us. I mean, we're not getting a lot here, right? We just know it's a place of outer darkness. There's going to be weeping, gnashing of teeth, punishment. We got some verse about someone being cut asunder. We got another verse about their, being hand, their hands tied behind their back. Like, you know, obviously... There's parable, parab- parabolic language and some figurative language associated with it. So we already know this, right? So what? Do we have anything else? Okay, what time is it? Oh, we're going to run out of time. We're going to run out of time, all right? Uh, well, let's, let's go there because I know that's where someone's going to go and we're going to have to get there before we can, um, so before we, we leave. The, the, we got the parable in Luke. That's the parable you, you're talking about. We looked at Luke 13, 28. Okay. Where's the parable in Luke that everybody wants to go to? About the rich man? Okay, that's the one everybody wants to go to. Or, well, so the debate is, is it a parable or not a parable? That's the debate. Okay. Luke 16, 16, 19. This is the one we everyone runs to. Okay, and there's much debate. If you pull this out for a... A Jehovah's Witness, they're going to tell you it's a parable. All right, so here we go. Um, okay, we'll start in, it starts in verse 19. We'll just read this quickly and see. We're just going to have to end with this. Here we go, Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in, what Greek word is that? It's Hades. Oh, now, now we got a new Greek word. All right, how many times is Hades used in the New Testament? All right, so, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Okay, so, yeah, the grave thing is going to be a whole, okay, we need it. Someone write down in their notes, Hades. We're going to have to go look up all of these references. We're not going to get to it tonight, all right? But please note, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Now, immediately, all of a sudden, something is very different about this passage than any other passage mentioned. What is different about this passage than any other passage mentioned up to this point? He's living, he's conscious, he's in torment. He is not destroyed. And it, it does use the word hell, but it does not use the word hell that Jesus has used before. He uses a completely different word. And Jesus is the one telling the story. He, all of a sudden, Jesus just flips to a different word. Why? Why is he not using Guiana? What, what, what happened here? Okay, so that, I mean, that's a, just a good Bible student question. Right? Now, 
it goes on to say, so he's, he's in, uh, does it mention fire here? I am tormented in this flame, verse 24. So we got torment, we got flame, right? And, um, and I don't think there's, there's nothing else that's mentioned here. Now you see it? All right. It's a place of torment. We don't have weeping and gnashing of teeth. We don't have outer darkness. We don't have the word fire, but we do have the word we have flame. So we, at least we have the fire mentioned. All right. So you can see the parallel. We can see the parallel. Now, this would now what they would, could argue is okay. Well, he he's currently he is, was existing at least at this point. But does the text say that he suffered forever? Is there anything in the text that say he was going to suffer forever? That it was never going to come to an end? Do we have anything here that would indicate this guy is going to be burning forever? It's going to be tormented forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's torment. It's bad. It doesn't say how long. Now, clearly we know this. Obviously, after death, if we take this from a very, in a very literal way. Now, remember, how literal do we take this, right? Because some say it's a parable. Some say it's not a parable. If it's a parable, then, now the thing, what I always argue, well, if it's a parable, parables always point to what? Some spiritual reality. So if it's a parable, what spiritual reality is it pointing to? It's pointing, obviously, to someone after death suffering, right? So, I mean, so, so if you, even if you say it's a parable, I, I, my argument would always be, okay, you're right. Let's say it's a parable. Doesn't a parable point to a spiritual truth? What's the spiritual truth? There's something bad out there on the other side you don't want to go to, right? There's something bad on the other side. So uh, it sounds like, but so what we could say is, now, now this gives us a, at least, a little, we can at least be dogmatic about this. If we, because even if it's a parable, it's got to be pointing to something. So it would be at least pointing to this. After death, some people are going to be conscious and in torment. And if we can, and since that this there's flame, we can connect this possibly with the other passages and say there's going to be fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, right? It's going to be outside of heaven. They're going to be suffering. Now, can we say for how long? Up to this point. We cannot be dogmatic how long. But it's clearly after you die, there is some period of suffering. That's what we can be dogmatic about, right? We have not been given. Now, someone could argue you, we've not been given anything to say it's eternal. But on the other hand, I could argue we've not been given anything to say when it stops. True? I may not be able to say, well, this verse says it's going to last forever, but you can't give me a verse saying when it's going to stop. Because even if this is a parable, even if this is a parable, this is pointing to something. And we've at least got the verses saying that the worm doesn't die and the fire never goes out. 
That's at least giving me a, a, a put it this way. I would be concerned. <laughs> I would be concerned that it may last longer than I want it to last. Okay, does that make sense? Now, the reality of it, I understand. This is why a lot of people would say the Bible should be banned because that's psychologically scarring to anyone to hear. Like, no kid should read that there's a place of burning, that if they die, they could go there. Some people say that's child abuse to tell a kid that. And I can understand why they would be bothered by it, right? Just like we look at books and go, well, that's messed up to tell a kid that. They could look around and go, well, it's pretty messed up to tell a kid that if they don't believe in Jesus, they're going to die and burn for the rest of their lives. That's, that's... that's, it's, it's a horrible thing. Can we just admit it? It's a horrible thing. There's nothing pleasant about it. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants to talk about it. And typically, we only believe in hell till when? It's my, been my joke my whole Christian life. We only believe in hell until someone we know or love dies. And then magically, hell is never for them. Hell is only for Everyone else. They're not for your loved ones. And we always find some way to get them into heaven, do we not? We find some way, you know. Everyone tell, well, they said a prayer right before. Look, I'm not going to say the prayer is not genuine. I just know, what do you, I mean, and put it this way. If I'm laying on a deathbed and I'm dying, you know, I may be willing to say a prayer to every God that will walk by my room and offer me one, right? Because, I mean, I'm like, I'll take that, I'll take that. Sprinkle me, dunk me, give me the Lord's Supper. I'll say 15 prayers. I'll do anything. Because, I mean, when you're getting ready to face that, that trip to the other side, no matter how confident you are here, at least for me, I've always said, when I get right there to the end, I've always said, that my, my, my last words are going to be, I'm about to find out. I'm about to find out. Because I can sit here and sound all confident. But I know when it's one thing when you get ready to take that last breath. Because now that's the greatest exploration. That's the greatest philosophical exploration that you can ever have. Because in the next moment, either you're not going to have the next moment, which means a, the only good thing about that, you can't live in regret that you dedicated your whole life to a religion that wasn't true, so that's good. Or you're going to wake up and realize you had the wrong religion. That would be horrible, right? Uh, Or you wake up in in the presence of God and realize, yeah, I just want to know what's on the other side. Now, I know what theology tells me, and I do believe the scriptures are the word of God, so I know what it tells me, but I cannot truly know until I'm there. I just know the teaching on the uh, the teaching on hell is philosophically disturbing, and no one should pretend that it's not. We talk a big game until we're confronted with the reality of it, looking in the face of someone we love, and then all of a sudden we do what? They're a Christian. I know it. Yeah, of course, of course they're a Christian. And it's amazing how everyone becomes a Christian, and you don't want them to go to hell. It doesn't work that way. If it's real, then we don't get people out of it because we just declare them to be so, right? Their only hope is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. But uh, I just, we can't, we can't, I, I, think, I think there was a time that maybe when we preached hell, we didn't really care how the world reacted to it. But I think now we need to be really uh, much more aware of this seems very like, 
this seems completely evil. Like when you preach the subject of hell, there people today won't fear it. They will believe you're mentally deranged to believe it. There was a time in the past that people may like, wait, the Bible says that? And they may actually show a little bit of concern. We're in, we're in an age now where people are like, that is a demented, deranged teaching. Your God is going to put someone in hell to burn because you don't believe in him? He's going to make you suffer for eternity because you simply don't believe in him? You can see why the world's going to raise those kinds of objections. And we just got to be willing to do that. And look, I, I don't, and we should never be happy or celebrate when someone goes to hell. Sometimes Christians almost act like, well, they're going to learn and they're going to burn. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really like that. I've seen some people at LGBTQ events on videos of them and they're just screaming at people, you're going to burn in hell. And it's like, they're almost like, um, you almost angry and almost glad that they're going to burn. You should be utterly broken over the fact and I don't know screaming at someone that you're going to burn in hell is really very helpful because I don't scream like we're trying to help you they're screaming like they're angry and want to put them there we don't want anyone to go there and whatever torment is there it's a horrible horrible thing but the reason we had to talk about it is because literally speaking Jeremiah is to go to the very Valley of Hinnom, which is Guyana, which is the picture of hell. And that's where he goes to preach. Now, is there a reason? Is it significant? May not be. But we don't know because you guys kept talking and now we're out of time. All right, so, all right, we have to stop. Well, God, we come before you this evening. Your word declares a place of punishment a place of burning, a place of agony, a place of torment. I may never comprehend it. I may never understand it. But Lord, I pray and wish that no one ever had to go there. And I pray and wish that we would be bothered and burdened by the reality of it and always look for an opportunity to tell who we can and preach where we can the fact that there is a way not to go there and that is in the finished work of your son. Forgive us for our becoming cold to this reality, but help us seek to understand it in a way that we are more biblical about it and show compassion when we discuss it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,